Deanne Blair, that was powerful testimony and powerful song, and we remember walking with you and Tim through that journey as God proved himself faithful, and oftentimes he does that. He uses his people, his church, uh, many of you guys came alongside of them in their time of difficulty, and you know, we always need a church home, we always need a community of faith, but I tell you, in those times of losing your job, in times of uh, having a, a baby or in times of sickness, it's such a blessing to be in community, not just in big church community, but I'm talking about in, in Bible life groups, small groups, so God bless you for that testimony. And also, Terry and I, uh, we both forgot to say that the lady that was up here uh, singing on the praise team a moment ago, beside uh, Blair was uh, Kristen Turkelson, and she went on the trip with us as well. She left her two, uh, well, three children, Avery and uh, Connor and Luke, her twins, and went on mission with us. And God bless you, um, Kristen. And uh, so if you see Kristen and Terry taking a nap, you'll understand why. If you see me taking a nap, that's not good, all right? I'm supposed to be, <laughs> I'm supposed to be speaking and preaching. And so, again, uh, we, we're very, very grateful to be able to go, and wherever I go, uh, I, I represent the Lord, and I also represent you. And so we represented you to about five, six hundred pastors in, uh, in, a, in a tough place. And these people came uh, so excited uh, to be in the presence of God and the presence of others without appraisal, without fear of being hurt or persecuted. And, and when you go to a situation like that, it really does change. It does something to you, right? I mean, we're so blessed. We're so free in America. And so our worship services would last hours. And so, oh my word, these guys, I, I, they about, let me just say, y'all, they about preached me to death. They about killed me. I, I tell you, they, I was so excited. My translator was excited. They were hooting and hollering. I was shouting and hollering. It was just, but you know, when, when you're thirsty for God, you can't wait to get in God's presence and with God's uh, people. And persecution, sometimes we look at it as such, a, as such an awful thing, and it is. But God uses persecution to awaken His church. In fact, next week, uh, next uh, Sunday, November the 5th, is Pray for Persecuted Church Day. And so we're going to do that. And that night, our church here at Great Hills, we're hosting a film on the persecuted church. And then afterward, myself and some religious leaders in the community, they're expecting a huge crowd here at Great Hills next Sunday night. I'm going to serve on a panel and again, I, you know, I do these things, but I do these things for Christ, and I do these things as your uh, representative. So wherever I go, I'm always uh, representing Christ in a great hill. So let, let me tell you just a little bit about uh, our journey, and then I'm going to get into this message entitled, The Beauty uh, of the Cross. And so last Saturday, uh, we left, and we, we took on out here about 10 o'clock, and we made it to um, the Austin airport. And... Uh, where we were in that part of South Asia, our church is called a champion church, meaning we support financially, we support through mission trips, we do whatever we can to help uh, theological education uh, just burgeon and blossom in a place where it's very difficult. And so part of us going, Terry uh, had raised some funds among you guys, and we were taking some equipment. We were taking a keyboard and some stands, and I tell you, these things were beasts. They weighed a lot. Uh, I mean, weighed a lot of pounds. And so we're rolling those things through, and through the curbside there, we, we go to check them in, and this guy, he, he helps us out, and once we check everything in, we go to pay, and he goes, ah, uh, he goes, don't worry about it. He said, I've already checked you through. It's free. Had he charged us, it would have been $950 is what he would have charged us. 
And so we just looked at each other, you know, we just kind of smiled and we thought, God, uh, you're, you're so good to us. And so from that point on, even till when we returned last night, it was favor after favor, God's blessing after God's blessing upon us. And so uh, we're, we're just so very grateful to God for the way he took care of us and blessed us. And so uh, thank you again. Thank you for letting me go. Thank you for supporting us with prayer as we went. And so today I have this message I want to share with you. And I, it's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's only like uh, chapter 4. It's only six verses. Uh, but these few verses are so incredibly theologically, Christologically packed, just theologically pregnant, if you will, with meaning, with substance, with significance, as it tells us exactly who Jesus is and what our purpose is here on this earth. So I'll read it to you. I'm just calling it the beauty of the cross. And I thank you even now as I, as I preach this message, as you pray for me, as you occasionally say amen. <laughs> help me. Amen. God bless you. You got to help you preacher. All right. There are times when he needs you. He, you just got to say amen. Let me know you're alive. Terry and I, we were talking up here just a moment going, okay. Well, I hope, hope they're with us. Hope they're out there. So I hope you are. I hope you'll say amen every now and then and uh, let, let us know. So here it is. Therefore, since we have this diaconia. And so if you're a deacon, this is one of your favorite words. Since we have this service ministry, Paul said, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. I love that. Since we have the mercy of God and the ministry that God has given us, we do not lose heart. We do not faint. We do not quit, but we uh, persevere. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. You have to understand why Paul would say that. Yeah, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul give an apostolic apologetic of his ministry? Why would he defend himself among the Corinthians if he planted the church, he pastored the church, he served the church? Why does he feel so led to tell the people that he is the real deal? Well, people were questioning him. People question his motives. They question his apostleship. And so Paul, it's the most autobiographical letter, really, in, in all of Paul's uh, 13 uh, epistles that he wrote. This one is the one that he felt urged and led by the Spirit to give a defense for his life and uh, for his ministry. He said, I was not like those who were peddling the truth of God or dishonest gain, but by manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Here's a very interesting verse here. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the icon uh, we get the English word, I-C-O-N. In the Greek, it's E-I-K-O-N. It's the same word, that Christ is the exact representation, it's a good translation, of God, should shine on them. Now Paul just, I tell you, church, he just kind of like, he, it's on this ramp, and he just takes off now into this glorious stratosphere of some of the, the deepest, most powerful Christological teaching you'll ever receive. He says, for we do not corrux or proclaim ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves your doulos. 
Doulos is the first Greek word I, I, I learned 100 years ago when I was in college. The word doulos means a servant, and not just any servant, but a servant who will perform the most lowly, menial task. And so Paul says, not only do we have this diakonia, this service ministry, but God has called us to be such as those that we will stoop down to the lowest level realm of dirt and we're just counted a privilege and an honor to be able to preach Christ because we are your servants. We're not trying to take advantage of you. We don't want anything from you. We are just here to give you our lives and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but we preach Christ the Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God. Y'all notice that? As I was studying this passage uh, last week, or really the week before as I was getting ready to preach here today, I noticed something very interesting about this text. It's not a God, right? But it's the God, the definite article. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, if you really want to know his heart and you really want to just get the pulse of his life, then you read the book of 2 Corinthians. And this is what I've been doing over the last number of weeks. I have been reading in the book of Proverbs, which is nothing unusual. If you know me, every day I will read a chapter in the book of Proverbs, but I've been reading through the book of Corinthians. And as I've been praying and preparing for what God would have me do next at Great Hills, what he would have me to preach next, as I am preparing to do that in my mind, I just find myself going to Corinthians. In fact, next week, I hope to go back to go to 2 Corinthians and preach a message to you as we're preparing for uh, this harvest day. But I kept going back to this text. I love this text because not only is it very cogent, very clear in the Christian faith, but I, I saw my life in this text. I, I saw some of my purpose and my meaning uh, for existence. And there were times where I almost had out-of-body experiences when I, was, I would pinch myself and say, what in the world are two country boys from the southeast, Mississippi and Alabama, why have we been so blessed and entrusted with so much over in this country? And all I could say is, it's just the grace of God. The grace of God that would call me and save me, change me, empower me to be able to go and to preach the gospel to re really all over the world, but especially to this very difficult, difficult place uh, in South Asia. And so as I'm, I'm reading this text and I'm, I'm living out th this text and I'm watching Paul because Paul, he is my hero. I'm, the, the greatest Christian, the greatest missionary the greatest church planter, the greatest apologist, I think nobody would dispute this or argue with this, would have to be uh, the Apostle Paul. And so here he is in AD 50. He's traveling through Asia Minor. He's traveling through that part of the world that so desperate for the gospel and the gospel is just, I mean, it's just bursting from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria. Now it's going to the uttermost parts of the earth and, and Paul lands there uh, in Corinth. And if you read Acts chapter 18, you'll see the first few verses that he and Silas and Timothy, uh, they, are in, uh, they are in the city and they're preaching the gospel. And just like um, he did in the other cities, he went in 
and he preached Christ amongst so much polytheism, so much idolatry. And as he's preaching the gospel, people are, I mean, they're miraculously coming to faith in Christ. And after they come to faith in Christ, he, he baptizes them and they formulate into a local assembly, an ecclesia, a church, a church family. And then Paul says, God bless you. I'm glad you got going. And here's your pastors and here's the deacons and here's the people going to help you. And then he would go to another city. About 18 months after he leaves this city, he sits down under the authority of the Holy Spirit and he writes out these 16 chapters, these verses of Scripture known as the book of 1 Corinthians. And then later on around, oh, around the AD 50s, about 56 or 57, after coming back through, he sits down and he writes the second epistle to them, 2 Corinthians, and this is the letter that we're, that we're reading now. And the church, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, they are a very troubled church, but they're also a very triumphant church. They're a church that experienced, uh, remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16:9, he said, for there is such an effective open door for me to preach the gospel, but there are also so many adversaries and so many opponents to the gospel. And I think about my life and I think about your life. I think about us being in Austin, Texas. There's so many open doors as God is bringing the world to our very city. I, I tell you, there, there are two places in particular where we are just being inundated with people, and that is California and India. And I'm telling you, I love it. Come on, Californians, come on in. Come on, Indians. I was sitting right next to a guy on the plane last night, and I was trying to share with him and witness to him and encourage him. And of all places, he's from Bangalore, India. And, uh, and I said, man, that is so great. You need to come. When you move you and your family here to Austin, they're moving uh, from Bangalore to, to, excuse me, to Austin. It's like God is just bringing the world to our great city. And what are we going to do with them? Well, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to preach the gospel to them. And I want to see them saved and, and discipled and spiritually metastasized and, and grow out and help us plant other churches and keep on preaching the gospel until uh, Jesus comes again. So there are three things I want to I share with you. Uh, can you all hear me okay? Are we coming through all right? All right, good, good. Amen. Thank you. All right. Oh, where'd my water go? I hid it from myself. <laughs> I don't know if y'all ever do that. There it is. I found it. There are three things here I want to share with you in this text, and they all have to do with the gospel. The gospel compels us to persevere. And that's what I find here in verses 1 and uh, 2. He says the gospel here is a persevering gospel. It compels us. It, it motivates us to push through, watch this, so that we do not lose heart, so that we do not, do we do not faint, we do not quit. What, what is it that compels us? What is it that makes us get up and keep going and, and keep doing what God has called us to do? And, and Paul would say, it is the gospel. And what is the gospel? Uh, the, the Greek word euangelion, the prefix ou and angelos, a good message is what it, the gospel is. It's the, it's the life, the teaching, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul says, this message is a message of hope. This message is a message that changed my life. And this is the message that I'm going to proclaim here to Corinth and all over the known world. Now, he uses the word therefore in verse 1. Did you see that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, now therefore. And, and the reason he says therefore is because in the preceding chapters, preceding verses... He makes an argument for the supremacy of Christ. 
He argues the supremacy of Christ, for example, over Moses. He argues the supremacy of the gospel over keeping the law. And he does it in such a way that he does not denigrate or diminish the law, but he does it in such a way to show that Christ has come. And now that God has come through his son, Jesus Christ, he's spoken to us in many ways and in many times and many prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. This text reminds me of Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, the Gospels. When you look at those very Christological passages, you, you come to appreciate and understand more what he's saying here when he says, the Gospel, this Gospel of Jesus Christ compels me uh, to keep going. And, and, and I love this fact here that he says, I will not lose heart. I will not quit. And, and what makes me not quit is this compulsion of, of the gospel. One of my um, heroes in the faith, a man by the, uh, the name of McShane, he was a pastor in the Church of Scotland, Robert Murray McShane. And he, he was a great pastor preacher, but he was, he was young. He was 29 when he died, uh, 29 years of age. Uh, and he died in 18, I think 1843. And before he died, though, he was, he, somebody had asked him to write a letter to uh, one of his protégés or one of the young men that, were being, that was being ordained to the gospel ministry. And so he, he wrote these words, and I thought, man, this, this sounds like something the apostle Paul would write. He wrote the following words. He said, do not forget the culture of the inner man, I mean of the heart. Remember, sir, you are God's sword. You are his instrument, and I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and the perfections of the instrument, will be the success of the instrument. And here it is. It is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister in the hands of God is indeed an awful weapon. And I looked at that and I thought, man, that's the gospel. And here we are 2,000 years later, and God has entrusted to us the gospel. And here we are. We are to preach it in Austin. We are to preach it in Texas. We are to preach it in North America. And we are to preach it to the uttermost parts of the earth. But as you do that, in Great Hills Baptist Church, as we do that, there will be almost this concomitant uh, temptation to lose heart, to faint, to say, well, what difference are we making, Brother Dan? I mean, good night. You just came from a country of 1.2 billion people, and 700,000 of them have yet to even clearly hear the gospel. We live in a city of 2 million people in the greater Austin area, and by far the deep majority of them are still in bed. They're not listening to you. They're not turning on the television or the internet. They're sleeping over a hangover that got down at the 6th Street. And if you're like me, sometimes you go, yeah, I mean, it's like Man, it seems just like we're, we're, we're losing. It seems like, you know, the devil is winning. It's like Paul comes along at that time and he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Keep preaching the gospel because the gospel is the only hope for mankind. And so we do. So we keep preaching it. <clears throat> we preach it in season and out of season. That means when I feel like it and when I don't feel like it. When you want to hear it and you don't want to hear it. We preach the gospel and we proclaim it, and, and therefore, we cannot quit. As Jimmy Japer said in his great little book, he says, don't quit until you're finished. And as long as you have breath, 
As long as I have breath in these lungs, then we are not finished. And so the gospel, it, it compels us to not lose heart. Secondly, there are many challenges to the gospel. And there are. There are many obstacles and difficulties to the gospel. And I want to share with you the reason that is. See, yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get that. It seems like the other world religions... They're the ones doing the persecuting, but it doesn't seem like they are as persecuted. What is it so much about our religion? What is it so much about Jesus Christ that is so attractive to some, and yet it is so repulsive to others? And I want to tell you the reason why. The reason why there are so many challenges to the gospel, and you read it in, there in, the, in the text in verses 3 and 4. In fact, the only time in the entire Bible... The Apostle Paul calls him the God of this age, little g. He refers to Satan. He says the God of this age is alive and well. In fact, he has placed a veil. He has placed a covering over the eyes of those who do not believe. And so they are perishing. They don't realize that they are perishing. And their only hope is the gospel. But there is opposition. And why? There are two reasons why. The, the first reason Christianity is so heatedly opposed is because of the very nature of its message, okay? The very nature of the message of the gospel. And the second reason that Christianity is so vehemently opposed is because unlike other world religions, we have an enemy that is determined to stamp out and to eradicate and silence the Christian faith. Let me tell you the first one again. It's because of the nature of the message that we preach. The gospel contains the scandal of the cross, okay? So let, let me read to you Corinthians. I think we have it printed here, and we actually have the Greek words printed as well. Paul says, but, uh, but we preach, again, this is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Now to the Jews, this is a huge scandal, stumbling block. You translate those two words, literally transliterate the Greek, you get the English word scandal. The Greek word is skandalos or skandalon. And to the Jews, this is a huge stumbling block. You say, why is that? Why is it Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism? Why aren't those huge stumbling blocks? And here's why the cross is such a stumbling block to the Jews. It goes something like this. The Bible in their Old Testament says, cursed is the person who hangs on a tree. And so in their mind, they, they get the idea of a Messiah. He's going to come in. He is going to reign. He is going to be a conquering general. I mean, he is going to lift Palestine, the Israelis. He's going to take them out of the yoke of the bondage of the Romans, those hated Romans. And this conquering Messiah will come in and he will obliterate the enemies of the Jews. And man, he's going to be riding on a mighty white steed and we'll see him with a crown on his head and we'll bow down and worship him and here comes Jesus my word he's riding on a donkey he ends up on a cross and dies and the Jews go that is ridiculous that's ridiculous that's not a messiah what kind of messiah rides on a donkey allows people to kill him no thank you that's the scandal of the cross by the way it's the same today same today for the Jews the Jews are like, no, thank you. <laughs> I, don't need him. I don't need him. He, he's a Messiah who died on a cross. I need a conqueror, all right? Secondly, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's moronic to the Greeks. <laughs> 
You say, is that really that Greek word? Is it moron? Yes. Paul says the preaching of the cross, it's a scandal to the Jews, but it's also, it's utter foolishness to the Greeks. You say, well, I don't know that I believe that or not. When's the last time you tried to witness to somebody? <laughs> When's the last time you tried to witness to an erudite, scholarly, academic uh, Athenian? No, excuse me, not Athenian, Austinian. When's the last time you, you shared the gospel with somebody in the city of Austin, Texas? I'm telling you, they look at you like, oh, excuse me? Do you expect me to believe that? I mean, you know, I have PhDs, about 10 PhDs, all these MDs, all these Mercedes, and I got 15 girlfriends. And so what, what are you telling me that I, I, excuse me, my eternal salvation, my joy in this life goes back to 2,000 years. There's a guy that's dead on a cross. Are you, t <laughs> are you really serious with me, sir? You expect me to believe and I'm supposed to give all this up to believe in that dead man on a cross that you said rose from the dead. And if I don't believe in him, excuse me, I don't believe in him that, that I'm going to go to hell. You, you, excuse me. You better get out of my face. Get out of my life. How dare you insult my intelligence by telling me an Austinian. I mean, I am a brilliant, educated man here in this great city. And you're to tell me that if I don't believe all of this, that's a bunch of moronic hogwash. Yeah. Welcome to Austin. <laughs> I wonder what Paul would do. I wonder what Paul would, I know what Paul would do. Paul would say, yes, sir, it's all true. It's the hope of the world. God's idea is not our ideal. God's God's foolishness far exceeds the wisdom of man, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this gospel may not be academically palatable to your brain, and it may, it, it may not make a lot of sense to you, but you know why it doesn't make sense to you? Because the God of this age has blinded your eyes. You can't see it. Unless we make fun or unless we laugh, that's the way we were. It didn't make much sense to me either. Until the light of the gospel. It's like the shackles fell off of my eyes. Jesus Christ, the King, is revealed. And by faith and repentance, I trust in him. And he saves me. And he saves you. So the gospel, the very nature of the gospel, it is offensive. It is ridiculous. It is scandalous. And it is moronic. It's all of those things according to the world, and yet in the eyes of God, it is the absolute truth. It is the only truth that can take a man in dead and sin and trespasses and change him and translate him. Muhammad can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Joseph Smith can't do it. No other religion can do it, but Jesus can do it. And when you trust in him, the eyes are open and you're on your way to glory to God. Praise God. It's the gospel. And not only is it uh, offensive, but it, it also, there's that opposition. It is tremendously opposed by the enemy. And he will do everything in his power to keep the eyes blinded of those so that they can't really hear it, can't really understand it. And our response to that is we keep on sharing it. We keep on telling people about the Lord. It reminds me of a true story, and I can't remember the guy's name, but I promise you this happened. This is a true story. There was a young teenager, and he kept coming to church, and 
And the youth pastor would keep witnessing to him. And everybody knew this particular student was not a believer. And the student pastor was so burdened for him. And he would take him to coffee, take him to lunch. He'd pull him aside and he'd just share the gospel, share the gospel. And the teenager would go, yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, whatever. And so that student pastor, he, um, he goes on to another church and, and a, new, a new student pastor comes in to town. And this new student pastor sits down with this same lost young man and he shares the gospel with him. And immediately the young student goes, yes, that's what I want. I've never heard this before. <laughs> the old student pastor went, are you kidding me? I told you the same thing a hundred times and you said you never heard it before. You know, you see the God of this age had blinded him, but when Jesus lifted the scales, it's like, I've never heard this before. See, that's the power of the gospel. And that's why we, we, we have no control over the soil. What we do have the ability to sow the seed. And we sow the seed in the rocky soil of Austin, Texas. And we keep sowing the seed. And we join in with other churches and we sow the gospel seed. Um, the last Sunday of every month, which that would be today, Great Hills Baptist Church, we have, we, we have agreed that we will join in and pray with our brothers and sisters for all the churches in the city of Austin. And I'm so blessed. I get to spend a lot of time with these guys and, and, and have been serving as the chairman of the, the board of the Christ Together Greater Austin and basically, it's your large churches in Austin, this board is. We come together, we meet, we strategize. And then we, our aim and our goal is to get the gospel out as many times as we can so that every man, woman, and child, and student has repeated opportunities to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be changed. And so I love these brothers and I get to meet with them and, and, and do life with them. And, and it's such a blessing to be in a city like this, to have such great collegiality among the ministers of the gospel. And, and I don't sense the competition and the, and the rancor and the anger. No, no, we're all, listen, listen, listen. My, I know who my enemy is. My enemy is not a pastor. My enemy is the enemy. And I know who our enemy is. It's not some other church. By the way, I'm not your enemy. Terry's not your enemy. You, you, the, the guy sitting next to you is not your enemy. The enemy is your enemy. And the thing that the enemy hates is the gospel. So keep preaching the gospel. Keep living out the, the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Unto everybody who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Fred, is, it is the gospel that changes people's lives. And it compels us to persevere and to not quit. It has many challenges, has much opposition through the nature of the message and through the enemy himself. And then the last thing I want to share with you is this. And there's so much, there's so much, oh, so much goodness and truth in, these in this text. The last thing, though, in verses 5 and 6 is the gospel empowers us uh, to serve. And this is the text in verses 5 and 6 where, as I read it to you a moment ago, it's like the Apostle Paul, he just launches out into this amazing Christological teaching on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Oh, where are your contact lens when you need them? I left them at home. I sure did. Hold on. There it is. For we do not preach ourselves 
but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants, right? So the gospel empowers us to be doulos, to be servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Now, isn't that beautiful? Paul goes back into the Old Testament and he takes one of the most basic axioms of doctrine itself, of creation. When God said, he spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light emanated, came from the source of light, which is God himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And you know what light does? Light illuminates darkness. It pierces darkness. And when you have light, you can see. And Paul takes that analogy of the creative power of God to, in creation. And then he transfers that to Jesus, his son. He says, he is the light. He is the light that shines out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, just as God spoke and penetrated the darkness then, he has spoken and he's penetrated the darkness today, and the way he does it is Jesus, the light of the world. That's just, that's just powerful teaching. And he talks about how Jesus is this icon. He is the direct or the divine revelation, the manifestation, the exact representation of Almighty God. I think I have the Hebrews text in the, um, in the outline. See if we can find that. Hebrews, I think it's chapter 1, verse 3. Do we have that in, in the PowerPoint? There it is. Great, great, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Who, being the brightness of his glory, talking about Jesus, and the express icon, it's the same Greek word, and Paul uses in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the express image or icon of his person and, by, and upholding all things by the word of his power when he by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow. So the gospel, it, uh, it, it compels us, it, it moves us, it empowers us to keep and to keep on serving him. I love what one writer, how he describes this. He said, Paul would say that the same God who created light in the midst of chaos at the beginning of creation has beamed this supernatural light into his own heart. Wow. As the image of God, Christ brings clarity to our hazy notions of the immortal, invisible God who lives in unapproachable light. Listen to this, church. In Christ, we see God who he is, creator and redeemer. What God is like a God of mercy and a God of love. Remember verse one, he is, this mercy compels us. And what God does, well, he sends his son to rescue people from the domain of darkness, bringing about the reconciliation of all creation through his death on the cross. And in light of this, we are empowered and we are, we are motivated and, and we're encouraged to, to not stop and to not back up, but, but to keep on preaching it because it's just like God. It's just like God, it, when you get to the end and you think, well, Lord, I sure am tired. And Lord, these people don't want to hear it anyhow. And Lord, my friends and my colleagues at work, they, they think I've bumped my head somewhere. They think I've lost my ever-loving mind because I do believe it all. I believe it all, Brother Danny. I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And I believe he's the only hope for mankind. And yet I am surrounded by people who do not believe that. 
And they're adamantly opposed to it. So here's what I'm tempted to do. I'm just tempted to just kind of quiet it down a little bit and just let me, let me be a witness for Jesus in the way that I live my life. Well, that sounds good. That sounds really, really good. The only problem with it is it's very unbiblical. Had the apostles only lived good and godly lives, we would have no book of Acts. Okay? Let me say that again. Had the apostles only lived good, godly lives, there would be no book of Acts because the book of Acts records when they preached the gospel, when they shared verbally the gospel, then Jesus Christ did amazing things. But it's just like God. The moment you're tempted to to be tired and to quit and to say, I just want to take a hiatus. I just want to take a, I just want to take a snooze. Lord, I just, I, just want to, I just want to chill out. Lord, because I'm tired and I don't know that I really want to share it anymore. And I'm not so sure they, that they want to hear it in the first place. And it's just like God. And the next person you share with will be the person that God wants you to share with. And they'll become a Christian. In this country that I just left a few hours ago, I'm reminded of a true story, and I know because I was there in this country, and I actually met her. There was a lady in a house, and they're like, oh, Brother Dan, you, you, need, to, you need to meet her. You'll really like her, you know. And um, I said, well, let's, let's go. Let's meet her. Now, when I say house in this very impoverished country, and whenever I think of this country, I think of the three Ps. I think of people and poverty and polytheism are the three big Ps of this country. And they said, no, 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 but you, you need to meet her. It's just very different. It's a very bizarre story. So I did. I went into her home, and she shared her story with me. And I thought, oh, my word, this is kind of like Book of Acts kind of stuff. She, she was deathly sick. She was sick unto death. And I don't understand all about what I'm about to tell you. I'm just going to tell you this is the truth. And it had something to do with demonic possession. And then she was incredibly sick, sick unto death. And they were like, well, well let's, let's call some of the Hindu priests. I mean, this is a country that is dominated by Hinduism. Eight, 85%, 84% of Hinduism, uh, 15% Islam, and then less than less than half of half of half of percentile are believers, Christians. And so they said, ma'am, you, you're in a bad way. Let's get the holy people in here. Let's get them sprinkle water over you. Let's get them praying over you. And so they did, and they came one after another. And they were praying, they were chanting, and they were doing all the things they possibly could do to help this lady. And you know what happened? She got worse. I mean, convulsed and, and extreme torment. And, and her husband was concerned. Her kids were concerned. And, and, and they didn't really understand what they were dealing with. But they were dealing with the, the enemy himself. And then one of her neighbors, one of her neighbors said, I know you're in a bad way, but I heard about a man named Jesus. Who knows? He might be able to help you. And so she said to herself, she goes, self, what have you got to lose? Jesus, we'll just put him in one of the 330 million categories of gods and goddesses, and we'll just see what he can do. And sure enough, when she called upon the name of Jesus, she was immediately and supernaturally healed. The demons came out, the Holy Spirit of God came in, and she was a changed, she a totally changed person. I tell you, somebody like that, you cannot keep them down. You cannot keep them quiet. 
And so that's, they said, that's why you need to meet her. And buddy, she's just bubbling with the joy of Jesus. Well, guess what she did? She runs to her husband and she goes, and he, 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 she didn't have to say anything. He goes, I want what you just got. What you got, that's what I want. And boy, she got, he got saved. And they turned to the kids. The kids didn't have a chance. Did they? She turned to the kids and said, guys, guess what? Mom has changed. And they said, Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus has come through this whole house. And just like the book of Acts. And God willing, maybe, pray for me. I'm praying, I'm seeking his face. What am I to do? Maybe it is to preach through uh, the book of Acts uh, next year. But I want to share this message with y'all. It's a, it's a very simple message. It's a message about the gospel. It empowers us to serve. It has many obstacles. And, 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 it, and it causes us to have this great joy where we want to serve and not to quit. And so I hope you receive it and it changes you and it blesses you. Let me pray for you as we wrap it up. It's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. It's the gospel that makes a way. Thank you, Lord, that it is the best news ever heard. It's a news where these hundreds and hundreds of pastors that I've left, Lord, many have been beaten and many will be beaten. Many have been put in jail. Many more will. Because, Lord, it's the gospel and it's worth living for. And, yea, it's even worth dying for. And Lord, here we are in America, and we're very, very blessed. We're very uh, insulated. And Lord, our, uh, our problems are a different set of problems. Our temptations are a different set of temptations. But thank you, Lord, that the gospel still has the power of God. It still liberates uh, lost people, even in our great city. So Lord, we're praying for Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, would you shine your favor upon us? God, may we continue to be a missionary church, a church that plants churches, a church that gives, Lord, not out of our abundance. Because, Lord, at this point in time, at the life and the history of Great Hills Baptist Church, it's not out of great abundance. It's out of great poverty and need that we are planting churches and that we are giving our best and that we are taking the gospel to the nations. And I thank you, Lord, so very much. I thank you for Great Hills Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord for the light that she is, for the desire that she has to be faithful to God, to be faithful in the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the sacred scripture. So, Lord, we're praying today that, God, you would infuse us with your divine power and that, Lord, when we go to work tomorrow and when my brothers and sisters walk around in their neighborhood or where they go to their shopping, that, Lord, they would be sensitive to those that you put around them. Lord, remind them as you keep reminding me, Lord, I can't and I just don't have the power to convert anybody. <laughs> I can't change anybody, but God, you can. And all you ask me to do, Lord, is to be faithful, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, and leave the results up to you. So, Lord, we're praying today, praying for our church, God. We're praying that you would bless us and use us. And you may be here today, friend, in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very, very first time. It has resonated with you. You are that academic. You, you are that Austinite. You are that student that heard it a hundred times. But now, for the first time, the shackles have fallen, the scales have been torn away, and you see yourself in need of a Savior. And so for the very first time, sir, whoever you are, ma'am, whoever you are, for the very first time, today is your day when the Spirit of God he has opened your eyes. You see, you understand. And now you're repenting, you're believing, you're coming to faith. It's the miraculous work of a sovereign God. God is working in you. And so now you repent and now you believe. So you come 
And we say to you, God bless you. God bless you. We welcome you to the family of God. Would you share your story with us? Would you let somebody know here in our tradition and our faith, we stand in a moment and we ask you to come forward and take a pastor, take somebody by the hand and just say, I've given my life uh, to the Lord today. Best I know how, I've, I've surrendered myself unto him. Some of you are here today and you've done that and you are from India and you are from California, you are from wherever and God has led you to Austin. And you have a smorgasbord of churches. You have many opportunities to go and get plugged in. But for some reason, God led you here. You may be like the Johnsons. You got lost trying to find another church, and God led you to this church. And I love that, by the way, when that happens. So praise God. God is working. God is sovereignly, divinely working in your life to bring you to this place where you can come and you can get plugged in and serve. We invite you to do that. We welcome you today. So, Father, we thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless them wherever they are. Lord, wherever they are spiritually, we ask, God, you'd reveal yourself to them. Lord, give them salvation. And those that know you, God, give them deep commitment unto you to serve you, Lord, to get plugged in here and to, and to get involved and use their gifts for the advancement of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you stand. We'll have our invitation. Thank you so much.